Today is my dad's birthday. He would have been 83 today. But instead, three years ago on this day, I was standing in a small cemetery in the mountains of Virginia, leading my family through an informal memorial service as we spread my dad's ashes. That was a hard day. That was a hard year. I found solace in the Psalms that year, so many of them, but particularly the one we've heard this morning, Psalm 42. You may want to go there in your Bibles because we're going to spend a lot of time there. I want to walk through this prayer, through this song of lament with you. This will be an example of what our chapel speaker last week talked about. First, how do we ask questions of God? How do we express our frustration, our disappointment, our anger, our hurt to him? And second, how do we minister out of our scars? Not our wounds, but our scars. It's what I hope to show you today. So I want to go back to that year. Now, one of my spiritual practices, you'll hear all about it, is to have a word of the year. And every fall, I spend time in prayer and meditation, listening to the Spirit, hoping to discern what God and I will be working on this next year. Some of you do that? Good, good. Well, that particular December, God gave me the word or words, deeper still. And as I prayed and I meditated on that and I searched the scriptures, I kept coming back to the passage in our psalm today, verse 7. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. As I read that, I heard this tumultuous, roaring, powerful roar of the water, and it felt dangerous to me, like I might drown in those depths. Yet somehow I knew for sure that this was my phrase, my word for the year. Now, that year, for whatever reason, I know, God revealed more to me. He told me that the year would be tough, You all know that's not really a promise you want to hear from God. Like, you'd rather hear prayer or wisdom. You know that there'll be some hardship in that, that something good will come out. You don't just hear, it's going to be hard, right? But I knew that. I knew it would be incredibly hard. But God, aren't you thankful for that phrase? But God assured me, reassured me, that I would not go alone through that season. I would not be without him. So over the next couple of weeks, he continued to reveal more than he typically does. And I fully believe that that was his grace and mercy because he knew that I would need that to get through what was coming. I heard in passages like Romans 8:26 that the spirit would be with me, my counselor, my intercessor. And I heard in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that as the Spirit knows the thoughts and the deep things of God, that the Spirit would help me come to know God more fully. His promise, and this is what I would hold on to, his promise was that in the depth of suffering, I would come to know him better. I would know the depth and the love and his, of, and his love and grace better than I ever had. A week later, no kidding, A week later, we're driving through the mountains of West Virginia to visit family. Our van breaks down on the side of the highway. 
no cell phone, right? The van takes one final gasp for air, and we get just into cell phone range. And that began our horrible year. That year, we would see my husband's income reduced by 25%, my income reduced by several thousand dollars. Our son would have a very rough first year of college. We had a colleague who was sick, and I had to pick up two courses that I had never taught before mid-semester. I traveled and spoke in 13 different states on our difficult research topic. Um, my good friend was diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. He was healed, and then the cancer came back. I was with him and his wife the morning they told his church. He died within a year. Our church here was experiencing significant conflict. Two of my closest friends moved away. Another one of my closest friendships ended in betrayal. I had health issues related to stress. My father unexpectedly had a heart attack and died a few days later. We had to make the decision to take him off of life support, and I was the one who told the medical team when that time was. There were so many other things, but I'll add just this. From the time my father died to the time that my father-in-law died, we lost 10 loved ones in 22 months. I know that many of you know these stresses and these pains. I know that some of you are in the middle of them right now. And I'll tell you that for me, any one of these things would have been tough, but combined, there was this overwhelming, suffocating sense of pain and loss and grief, and it moved me to deep despair. This was more than I could bear on my own, and I struggled more than anyone around me knew. Friends, think about this. I am trained as a counselor and as a pastor. I have studied and thought about suffering for years, for decades. I have helped countless people walk through their own suffering. Yet there in the midst of my own difficult season, all the knowledge that I had was insufficient for processing what I was feeling. That knowledge was important and it would come to help me later on. But in the depths of my pain, my heart needed more. It just wasn't convinced that what my head knew was true. So I want to come back to our passage, Psalm 42. And as we move through this, I want you to hear a couple of movements in the text. First, notice how the author moves back and forth from despair and questioning to the remembrance of who God is. Second, notice as we go through the text how the despair deepens with each repetition until the author in the next Psalm 43 cries out for God to do something, and then once again reminds himself of who God is, the reason for his hope. So I don't know about you, but when I first read, start reading this psalm, I hear that melody in my head. I'm not going to sing it because that would be scary for you. As the deer pants for the water. Do you know that song? Right? It's so sweet, it's so beautiful lovely, and you get this picture of this beautiful deer standing next to the stream. That is totally not what the psalmist meant, okay? This is a lament. It is a cry to God. 
It comes out of deep pain. The psalmist is in agony, despairing, without hope. He feels separated from God, knowing that God is the only water that will quench the thirst and keep him alive. That phrase, as the deer pants for the water, suggests that the deer has run and run and run until it's gasping for air, desperate. Spurgeon, excuse me, Spurgeon says it this way about the psalmist. He says, the man's heart heaves, his bosom palpitates, his whole frame is convulsed, like one who gasps for breath, pants with long running. It is a sweet bitterness. Listen to the words. As a deer longs for flowing streams, so my soul longs for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and behold the face of God? Have you been there? Have you ever been in such darkness that you could no longer see God, that you can no longer see where he's working, where everything in you is so desperate for just a glance of him that it feels like you might die without it? I have. And like the author, that drink of living water that I needed did not seem to come quickly. It was days and weeks and months. And all I thought I had at the time was the water of my own tears. Hear the psalmist. My tears have been my food day and night. While people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. This is a man who longs for God, who feels alone, who is desperate for those times of worship, for being in God's presence like he used to experience. And for whatever reason, now he is unable to do that. He is unable to worship with his community. He is unable to go to the place that he associates with the presence of God. How painful it is to remember those things that are no more. Yet, notice that as the psalmist cries out in anguish with that hurt in his heart, he comes to make a choice based on what he knows in his mind to be true about God. We hear his words. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will praise him. For I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The author's reason fights with his fear and his depression. He chides himself out of despondency. Why, my soul, are you downcast? He searches out the reasons of his pain, and through it all, he comes back to what he knows to be true. There is hope in God. And here he makes a decision that no matter how bad it is, no matter how much it hurts, no matter how dark it seems, he will choose to praise God. His thoughts? He alone is my savior. He alone is my hope. He alone will bring peace and life in the midst 
of this horribleness. So self, he says to himself, put your hope in God, for you will praise him yet. So is that it? Is that his victory? Now all is resolved? No, not yet. And we hear this in the psalm. We hear him wrestle as he goes back and forth between despair and this choice to trust God. We continue. My soul is downcast within me. Therefore, I will remember you from the land of Jordan, from the heights of Hermon, from Mount Mazar. Deep calls to deep in the roar of your waterfalls. All your waves and breakers have swept over me. Now, when God gave me this passage, I thought, as I said earlier, that the deep things of my life would connect to the deep things of God. And I, I still believe that's true. But as I read this with the pain of the psalmist, I hear him trying to make sense of what seems like the forces of God and the forces of man have combined together to conspire against him, to overwhelm him, to destroy him. And somehow in this, he's attributing the suffering to God's hand in his life. And I don't know about you, but I struggled with that. Is this suffering because of God? Now, I would tell you today that I don't believe that God causes our suffering, but surely he allows the consequences of original sin and free will to affect us. But God, right, never, ever leaves us alone in that suffering. The psalmist reminds himself of this truth. By day, the Lord directs his love. At night, his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. God's love here is the word for God's loving kindness. It's such a beautiful, comforting word. It's derived from a Hebrew, Hebrew word that means to bend or to bow oneself, to incline oneself, to be gracious and merciful. Loving kindness is God's heart being toward, being directed toward those who are his own. Right? It's God's kindness and his steadfast love. It's especially evident in how God has condescended to meet our needs. In Scripture, God shows his loving kindness by saving his children from their enemies, delivering them from their troubles. We know that his loving kindness comforts us. It redeems us from sin, and it assures us of his promises. God's loving kindness is abundant. It is great in extent. It is everlasting. It is full of goodness. God's loving kindness, his steadfast, loving actions on our behalf, know no bounds. In another psalm, David exclaims, your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. But folks, even knowing this, the psalmist still struggles. He struggles with the lie in his head, and here, next, he expresses perhaps the most pernicious lie, that God has somehow left him. Listen, I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? 
My bones suffer in mortal agony as foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? But yet again, he recovers and he grabs once more onto what he knows. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why are you so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Has he settled his mind yet? No. And you know what? That actually comforts me because I know too well how I vacillated between deep despair and longing hope. As the psalm continues with Psalm 43, we see the same pattern but with one difference. We hear a plea for help. So if you would, imagine that you are carrying deep pain, pain from persecution, loss, separation. Here in this passage, the heart's expression of despair and need, even anger at God. And here the mind's call to remember what we know to be true about God. Psalm 43. Vindicate me, O God, and defend my cause against an ungodly people from those who are deceitful and unjust. Deliver me, for you are the God in whom I take refuge. Why have you cast me off? Why must I walk about mournfully because of the oppression of the enemy? O send out your light and your truth and let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God, my exceeding joy. I will praise you with the harp, O God, my God. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my help and my God. Have any of you wrestled like this? I did all of that year, day in and day out, back and forth. I would never, ever want to relive that 12 months of my life. But friends, that deep despair was worth it in one way. I came to know God more deeply, more fully, more clearly than I ever had before. His loving kindness overwhelmed me time and a time again. He directed his love toward me. He sang songs over me as I fought sleep and convulsed with tears. My soul thirsted for God, and he was my life. Nothing else, no one else would satisfy that deep need of my soul. Henry Nowen describes it this way. The experience of God's presence is not void of pain, but the pain is so deep that you do not want to miss it, since it is in this pain that the joy of God's presence can be tasted. This seems close to nonsense, except in the sense that it is beyond sense, and therefore hard to capture within the limits of human understanding. The experience of God's unifying presence and this is an experience in which the distinction between joy and pain 
seemed to be transcendent, in which the beginning, in which the beginning of a new life is intimated. Now in his right, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense how the most difficult year of my life was also the sweetest year in my walk with God. It doesn't make sense that even though some things will never be set straight, I carry scars, that I stand here whole today and content in the love of my Lord. Folks, it is in the mystery of this paradox that I came to know him deeper still.